Okay, let's open our Bibles. Matthew 1 is where I want to go this morning. Matthew 1, we're going to read verses 18 to 25. Uh, This is a passage that's been uh, burning in my heart all week, uh, and I've been so blessed uh, as I've prepared this message, and I hope and pray that you will be, what a build up to a sermon. I hope and pray that you guys will be blessed uh, as we unpack this passage this morning. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is God's Word. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She gave birth to us, she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen title, as you're about to see from the screen, is Joseph, the man God used to raise his son. Joseph, the man God used to raise his son. I want you to imagine this morning that you had the privilege of choosing any one of the characters in the biblical story of the birth of Jesus and having a five-minute encounter with them. I wonder which of the Bible characters would you choose for your five-minute encounter? Now, let's for a little moment say you cannot personally choose Jesus in this encounter. Which one of the other characters would you choose? What about the innkeeper? I often wonder, did he ever eventually hear that he had literally turned away Jesus, the Son of God. Or maybe there's some people here, and you're saying, well, I would choose the shepherds. There they were, working out in the the hills, a 24-7 job. These guys couldn't get to the temple for sacrifices, so ceremonially, they would be considered unclean. They would be looked on as castaways, outcasts. And yet these guys had the privilege of going and encountering Jesus, the Son of God. Other people might say, well, I would choose Anna. Do you remember Anna, the prophetess in the temple, and how she prayed so much? And she had the privilege of holding Jesus as a little infant in her arms when he was just a matter of weeks old. Others might say, well, I would choose my five-minute interview or my five-minute conversation. I would choose Mary. I have so many things I would love to ask Mary. You probably have guessed from the title of the sermon 
that I would choose Joseph. I was searching for a title of, of, for the sermon, and then the penny dropped. Joseph was the man that God chose to raise his son. This, that was a big ask, wasn't it? This was the guy that God, the God of heaven, chose Joseph to raise his son. That's why, if I had five minutes to speak to any Bible character apart from Jesus, I would choose Joseph. Let me unpack some things this morning about Joseph. Here's the first thing, and I'm going to explain what I mean by the term the forgotten man. Joseph, I believe, is the forgotten man in the Christmas story. And when I use that term, the forgotten man, it's no exaggeration. Let me tell you why I give him that title. Because when I read the Gospels, I do not find even one recorded word in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from the lips of Joseph. The Gospel mentions him. We're going to study that in a little moment here in Matthew 1. But there's no physical words on the pages of Scripture that came directly from the lips of Joseph. Let me briefly give you some fast facts about Joseph. Joseph, of course, we all know he was a carpenter. Listen to Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. It describes Jesus as the carpenter's son. So Jesus learned the trade of carpentry by spending time with Joseph. Joseph's hometown, as we know, was Bethlehem in Judea, but he lived in Nazareth in Galilee. And this meant Joseph and Mary had to literally travel 95 miles in order to register in the census. If you read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy there, you will see that Joseph was of the royal line of David. And we need to also remember this morning that Joseph was not a well-off man. Joseph and Mary materially were very, very poor. How do we know that? Well, Luke chapter 2 verse 24 says, when Joseph and Mary presents Jesus in the temple, rather than sacrificing a lamb as part of that presentation, they sacrifice a turtle dove, and a turtle dove was only sacrificed by those that were poor. How old was Joseph? Would it amaze you that most commentators, and this is just speculation, we cannot say this firmly based on Scripture, but most commentators believe that this guy was just in his late teenage years. So for all of those reasons, I believe Joseph was and is the forgotten man of Scripture. But look at this second point with me this morning. Point number two, Joseph's dilemma. His dreams became a nightmare. I mean, if, if this guy was just late teenage years, he was faced with a very big dilemma in his life. Look at verse 18. Here's the dilemma. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Here was Joseph, here was Mary, 
probably from Joseph's point of view, late teens, very much in love. Scripture says they were pledged to be married. This was the ancient Hebrew engagement period they were at in their relationship with each other. And during this betrothal period, the couple were to keep themselves sexually pure for the day when they physically came together after their marriage. But then, a bolt out of the blue, Mary's pregnant. And Joseph knows one thing for certain. He's not the dad. His world must have come crashing down around him. I wonder how this young guy felt when he discovered that his fiancée, so to speak, was pregnant and he wasn't the dad. Maybe there was anger. There definitely was confusion. There was certainly an element of embarrassment. There was shame. There was disappointment. And initially, I wondered, did the conversation between Joseph and Mary go a little bit like this? Did Joseph turn to Mary and say, Mary, how could you have done this? How could you do it? And then Mary explained her side of the story. Look at verse 18. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That had never, ever happened before. Who was going to believe that sort of a story? Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph knew only too well the law of the Old Testament. What was the law of the Old Testament? If a woman is found guilty of adultery, she was to be literally, pretty harsh stuff, she was to be literally stoned to death. If you want the references, Deuteronomy 22, verse 20, listen to it. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she will be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town will stone her to death. But thankfully, there was an alternative Again, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. In these circumstances, Joseph could give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And in those days, a man could divorce his wife in one of two ways. And this is significant to our understanding of the passage. He could divorce his wife publicly, but what would that involve? That would involve the two of them going before the elders of the town who would sit at the city of gates. And consequently, the gossips would have a heyday if Joseph had taken that line of action. Or the other alternative is he could divorce her with a private divorce. And a private divorce only needed papers given in the presence of two witnesses. And that's why verse 19 of the passage we're looking at this morning says, Joseph, and this is to Joseph's credit, folks, Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, undoubtedly, this whole episode broke his heart initially. 
And in the midst of this dilemma, look what happened in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Put your finger on that word considered in the NIV. Do you know what it literally means? It literally means to be in a turmoil. I can just picture this young guy, 17, 18, 19, and he's in a turmoil of mind. What on earth is the right thing to do? I wonder as you sit here in church on this St. Stephen's Day, are you in a turmoil? Has some stuff come up in your family over Christmas time, and here you are in a turmoil, and you're torn in one direction and torn in another direction, and you just don't know what the right thing to do really is. But you know, in the midst of this turmoil, God had a plan. I said it before, let me say it again. If you're in a turmoil this morning, God has a plan. God always has a plan. Never doubt that. I don't know what your family turmoil is. It seems to be there's more turmoil in families around Christmas time than in any other time of the year. But if you're in a turmoil this morning, God has a plan. God had a plan here in Matthew 1. He had a plan to bring good out of a very difficult situation. And maybe for someone gathered here this morning, your turmoil is your spiritual wake-up call. The turmoil that you find yourself in is your spiritual wake-up call this morning. And maybe it's God getting your attention. Maybe you've been letting spiritual things slip. Maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian yet. And in the midst of your family problems, in the midst of the turmoil that you're in, listen, look up. The God of heaven loves you. That little baby in the manger is the evidence that the God of heaven loves you. He didn't stay in a manger. 33 years later, he went to the cross. The cross is the evidence that God loves you. Three days later, he rose again. The resurrection is the evidence that the God of heaven loves you. If you're in a turmoil, a dilemma this morning, and you don't know where to turn, God loves you and God has a plan. He always has a plan. Here's the third thing I want you to see in this passage. God's intervention. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. I wonder when Joseph went to bed at night, I'm sure this, this issue of his fiance being pregnant and She's saying it was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure all this was the last thing in his mind as he fell into a deep sleep. And when he woke up, maybe in those wee hours in the morning, it was the first thing on his mind in the morning. What am I going to do? But look what God does. God speaks to him in a dream. Look at verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And when he heard that, he started to discover, listen, God has a plan. This child is going to be special. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do you see what God was doing? God's plan was to say, Joseph, hear Joseph. 
here's the task I have for you. I want you to raise my son. How humbling. What a huge ask for a young guy like Joseph. Now, I've been thinking about this this week, and I've tried not to let my mind run away too much with me. But this is theologically true. Stay with me. God, get this, God in the person of Jesus came to live in Joseph's home. I can imagine Jesus, just a little boy, four or five years of age, climbing onto Joseph's knee. And who was sitting on Joseph's knee? The Son of God was sitting on his knee. And when Joseph tucked uh, Jesus into bed at night as a little child, who was he tucking up in bed? When he kissed him goodnight, who was he kissing goodnight? He was kissing goodnight to the Son of God. Do you see what God was doing? He was transforming Joseph's worst nightmare into God's greatest blessing. What did I say? God has a plan. What's your nightmare? You say, where do I start, Jonathan? God has a plan. And listen, God, through his wonderful grace, has a special way, praise his name, he's a special way of transforming our worst nightmares into our greatest of blessings. Look at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Listen, everything this guy Joseph does speaks of a godly young man. By marrying Mary quickly, he protects Mary's reputation. By Joseph had no sexual relationships with Mary until Jesus is born, thus protecting the miracle of Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit against slander from unbelievers. By naming the baby, Joseph exercises a father's prerogative and thus officially gives Jesus the name, or Jesus the name, Jesus, the Savior. Remember, Joseph was Jesus' legal father, but he wasn't his literal father. I say it again. What a remarkable young man. This young man, this was his task from before the beginning of the world. This was God's plan. This was Joseph's task. This was his calling in life. What's your calling in life? To raise the Son of God in my home. Wow. That's a pretty big calling, isn't it? What are we to learn today? Look at point number four. Here's his legacy. Joseph leaves a lasting legacy. And I reckon his legacy centers around spiritual convictions. As I try and understand Joseph from the Gospels, I see a young man whose life 
was built on spiritual convictions. Three points of application. Here's the first one. Spiritual convictions means we fear God more than public opinion. It means that we fear God more than public opinion. After the angel explains to Joseph the unique circumstances of Mary's conception of a baby, Joseph went ahead and took Mary as his wife. Now think about the implications of that. Think of how the gossips would have had a heyday. Did you hear that Mary's got herself pregnant? And somebody else might say, or not sure, and say, aye, and Joseph's not even the dad. And for Joseph to stand with Mary, what gave him the spiritual backbone to do that? What gave him the spiritual backbone was this, that he feared God more than public opinion. Can I ask you, as you sit under God's word this morning, do you fear God more than public opinion? Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says, Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. Acts 9 verse 31 says of the early church, The church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers and it lived in the fear of God. If we're to have spiritual convictions and stand up for our spiritual convictions, we need to fear God. Do you remember Daniel, another young man, probably younger than Joseph, Daniel chapter 1? And he was given this privilege of, of sitting at the king's table, Nebuchadnezzar's table, and, and eat the food that the king was going to eat. And he purposed, purposed in his heart, uh, according to verse 8 of Daniel 1, not to defile himself. Not to eat that food. Why? Because it was offered to pagan deities. Or do you remember his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And in the plain of Jura in Daniel 3, there was a great image set up of Nebuchadnezzar, and the, the band played the music, and when the music struck up, all they had to do was bow down and worship, and these three guys stood out like sore thumbs, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? because they had spiritual convictions. Have you got spiritual convictions? Men, let me challenge you. It's time for the men in our nation. I said this before and I'll say it again. I believe the men are the spiritual leaders in our homes. And men, it's time to man up. It's time to step forward and lead the way God has called us to lead how many men are willing to say as 2022 comes, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. Whatever other families do in the Lord's day, we're going to follow the Lord. Whatever other families are up to, we're not going that way. We're going the Lord's way. That's spiritual convictions. Here's the second thing about Joseph's legacy. Look at point B. Spiritual convictions means obedience matters. Obedience matters. I find in the Gospels that every time God commands Joseph to do something, he obeys. That's the pattern of his life. He lives a life of obedience to God. Let me give you an example. Matthew 2 verse 13, an angel of the Lord said to Joseph, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there. He doesn't answer by saying, but God, why? 
He doesn't answer by saying, Lord, I can't afford it. Or Lord, what's in it for me? He simply obeys. Look what one commentator called Eric Alexander says, the evidence of knowing God is obeying God. The evidence of knowing God is obeying God. Are we obeying God? If we're going to have spiritual convictions, we're going to have to obey God. To obey is better than sacrifice. We're going to have to obey Him. Here's the third thing. Spiritual convictions means we develop godly habits of worship. Over in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we discover that Jesus had the custom of weekly synagogue worship. Who did he learn that from? Answer, his dad, or his earthly dad, Joseph and Mary. The modern equivalent was they had the habit of being regular at worship on the Lord's day. Can I urge you, can I urge you as we move in God's providence into 2022, be regular at worship on the Lord's day. Tiredness doesn't come into it. I don't find the guys that get passionate about sport on a Sunday morning, I don't hear about them waking up and saying, I'm too tired to go to sport this morning. They go for it because it's their passion. Listen, if Jesus is your passion, let's knock down the door, so to speak, of this place and get people in here every Sunday. When God chose a man to raise his son, who did he choose? Joseph. A man of convictions, a man who feared God, a man who obeyed God, a man who worshipped God. Here is the privilege this guy had. Joseph had the privilege of having the Son of God live in his home. And as I draw all this together this morning, here's what I want to finish with. Listen, if you're not a Christian, if you become a Christian, guess who's coming to live in your home? By his Holy Spirit in your heart. Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Christians are people who have repented of their sin and trusted Jesus only and only Jesus for salvation. And at that moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And then he lives in our home. Joseph had the privilege of having Jesus in his home. If you're not a Christian, you can have the privilege of having Jesus come and live and make his home in your heart at this Christmas time. So I hope now you see why I would love my five minutes with Joseph. He was a pretty godly young man. I reckon I could learn loads from this young man. And young men and young women and older men and older women, let's ask God to make us like this young man that we've been studying this morning.
And remember, here was his task. He was the man God chose to raise his son. As you go home this morning, if you're not a Christian, can I say to you, you can take Jesus with you. You can encounter Jesus this Christmas. He can move into your heart and move into your home and move into your life. And you can have the privilege from today onwards of living your life with King Jesus, number one, in your heart, in your home, in your marriage, in your career path. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas.